The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. So we've been going through, obviously, the, the uh, cults and the occult, and the goal in all of this is really, as I said and mentioned in the prayer, is to shape our minds towards sound doctrine. That, that's really what we want. Um, I mentioned this some, some time ago, but when I first started on Wednesday night, uh, the goal on Wednesday night was pretty clear from the beginning. I, I wanted us to study sound doctrine so much that in our minds we're kind of built a sort of booby trap, as it were, for false doctrine. As false doctrine, you know, crept in or was, was being tempted to creep into our minds through whatever it is, the TV or through maybe some other, you know, preacher or teacher or something like that, that it might trigger all kinds of alarm bells. And we may not be able to point to a specific verse or a specific thing that, that you know, nullifies whatever's being taught to us, but that it might trigger something that sends up a red flag that kind of goes, something doesn't feel right about this, and I'm not sure exactly what it is. And so uh, the hope is that as we, as we study sound doctrine, that that's what that does. It creates in our minds this sort of uh, complex web of truth that we, uh, we can sense falsehood when it, when it cr- is tempted to creep in. And, uh, and that goes for here, too. If it's being taught here or heard here or something's not quite right here, that it would, it would trigger those kinds of alarm bells. But there's also some value in understanding uh, the lies of the enemy as they come in, and, and us being able to, on the outside, really be able to evaluate what is being told to us and run it through a filter of this is what that is and, and help explain it. And so we've kind of done that going through cults and the occult as we've looked at the various uh, common forms of religion that you might find in you know, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and things like that. And then maybe some of the less common ones that you find uh, today, UFOlogy and, uh, and Wiccanism and Satanism, that you may not have personal experience with, or maybe people in your family are not necessarily tied up in that, but you kind of know is out there. And, and the goal of all of that is really to kind of put all of them in a very similar basket and help tear away all the exterior of the religion and the cult and, and all that and, and dig down to what the kind of nugget in the center really is. And when you strip all of that away, what you find in the middle of it is a very common lie that runs through all of it. And it, it, it really kind of, um, I guess it, it sort of disabuses us of the idea that we have to understand every aspect of every alternative religion out there or every cult out there in order to defend our faith. In reality, we have to know sound doctrine and we have to see what, what lies are at the center of really all of it. And all of it is, if we're catching one theme, it would be this desire that we have as people to save ourselves, to not find salvation outside of us, to, but to find it within us. And to say, you know, in me is the power to do X, Y, and Z. I just need to expose it. And in all of the cults and the occult, all of those cultic practices is that same lie that says, I can do it. And, and what's, what's even, you know, we haven't even talked about other major world religions, really. But you'll find this in anything that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. In all of them. There is some work you must be doing, and if you are not doing that work, you are not saved. And that is at the core of every major world religion that is not at the core of Christianity. At the core of Christianity is the work that Christ did is what saves you. So we're seeing that kind of being exposed, I hope, throughout this this course. And as we're coming closer to the end here, I kind of wanted this one here, which is our 10th um, lesson on this. Uh, so we're getting close. We've got three more, I guess, at the end of this. Uh, I wanted this one to kind of be the sort of foundational piece of cults and the occult. 
And, and as Christians, I, I really want this to be the lens that we look through to see the commonality in all of these things that we've studied so far. Um, we're, we're looking at, this morning, demon possession and exorcism. Um, and, and, and behind all of that is satanic activity. If you just want to generalize what all of this is, it it's really can be categorized as satanic activity. Um, this is one of those issues that I think probably Christians in the West have maybe heard of, but probably have limited experience with. I would say I'm, I'm right there with you. Limited experience with something that I could, I, I could point to and identify as that is clearly demonic possession. Um, and maybe we all probably have a little bit of that, just some unfamiliarity with that. Does anybody, has anybody in here, just maybe if you want to, volunteer show of hands, ever encountered someone that you were convinced that person is possessed? Or ever been a part of an exorcism at all? Anybody? Timothy, you got one? Um, I, I've shared this story a number of times, uh, uh, and probably you've heard it. Uh, I'll, say it uh, I'll say it here. Um, we were in Africa and um, praying in, in these schoolrooms and um, uh, voiced you know, prayer to the one true and living God in these classrooms with a bunch of students. And we were in several classrooms. Our team was split up amongst five or six classrooms. And um, as a couple of groups in different classrooms were praying uh, simultaneously across those classrooms, several girls, four of them in different classrooms, just dropped to the floor, shrieking in terror and rolling on the floor, foaming at the mouth. Um, what you would, what, what a, perhaps a doctor might look at and say is a, you know, seizure of some kind, right? Like they were just, you know, whatever. And all the girls were, were taken into an empty classroom and, and were placed on the floor and were restrained from hurting themselves because they were kind of like going crazy. And um, rooms, the room was filled with Christians and missionaries and pastors and all kinds of people and were praying for them. Um, and one by one, took about 30 minutes or so uh, of prayer, they all just sort of came to. And they all asked, what happened in Swahili? And they said, you know, what, what happened? And so they're, they're being explained. They're, they're obviously taken in. They're given food. They're given water because they're exhausted and they're sweating. And all the people that were there kind of restraining them are sweating too because they're throwing around four grown men as they're doing this. And, um, and all of them had the same story. All of them had the same story. Uh, they had gotten sick. Their parents had taken them to the local witch doctor to cure their sickness. The witch doctor had given them a demon to cure their sickness, and it worked. They got better. And the next thing they know, they woke up on the floor uh, with four grown men holding them down, you know. Um, so I tell that story because I think probably when we, especially for us here in America, we go, okay, what, how, how does that work? What, what is this, what's going on here? Is this real? Is that, is that a for real thing? Um, and I will leave it for you. I, I, I know I was convinced and, and still I am. Um, but, but I present that to you because I think we don't see that a whole lot. Now, in some countries, that's all they see, and so even the common cold, they would say, that's a demon of some kind, right? There's a balance in between those two, I think, but the point is, I think say, we, we discredit a lot of times in the West satanic activity and that it, it really is alive and well and that it really is active in the world around us. But I think when we go into the Bible, it is, an, it is the explanation for many of the things that you are seeing. And as Christians, when you look at people ensnared in cults and the occult, what lens are you looking through to actually identify that thing? What is that? What is the explanation for that 
that thing? Why, why is this person at my doorstep? Why is that person here? Why are they telling a false gospel? And what should be my reaction to it? Um, so as we look at this, it's important to understand, I think, as kind of a basis of this, the nature and activity of Satan before we can really understand the proper biblical categories for his ongoing work in the world around us. So if we think about his purpose as exposed in Scripture from the beginning, it might help us to kind of evaluate the ongoings of the world around us. So we're going to do that this morning. The word Satan is an untranslated Hebrew word. That is, if you know the word Satan, you know the a Hebrew word. Uh, so the word Satan is a Hebrew word, and it literally means accuser, the adversary. Um, in fact, the word devil is a Greek word, diablo, which is basically the same thing in Greek. It's an accuser, an adversary. You remember Peter tells the church that your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, uh, similar. The, these words are frequently, um, we use them as a proper name, so we might call him the devil, or we might call him Satan as like a proper name, um, but they are really, um, in some respects, a, a kind of a job description. They're, they're a, a title given to his role. This is the task that he performs as he goes about doing his work. And you can kind of see this in Revelation 12.10. And I heard a loud voice. Your, your, the scriptures that I'm going to be reading are in your packet as well. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power uh, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Um, we, also, we also see, though, that there are two... Um, uh, I have, I think in Matthew, I have the wrong verse put down there. But in Luke 10, 18, this is an example of what I was looking at. Um, He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, where it is used kind of as a proper name, where we give him that name, but it is a description of what he does, and that's why he has the name that he has. And as we see his job... That, uh, that we see him doing in Scripture is coming before the Lord and presenting charges of sin against the people of God. And it even says, as we just read in Revelation 12, 10, day and night. And uh, it seems that he does this against everyone. Uh, look at Ephesians 2, 2. It says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Um, and then we see the role that he performs there in, Zech- in, in Job uh, 1, 6-12. If you look at this, these are very weird points of Scripture that I think we look at sometimes and we don't know what to do with. But Job 1, 6-12, it says, Now there was a day where the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, that is the accuser, the adversary, he also came among them, and the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So here's the devil bringing, uh, well actually God brings the name Job, but then the devil accuses God of, uh, of activity. Hey, well he, this is the reason that Job uh, is so you know, righteous and upright and things like that. 
um, just let me touch that and, and we'll see what he does. And, and then we have the next passage in Job 2, 1 to 7. He says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan was also, also came to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered to the Lord and said, uh, from going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited him ag uh, against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Not only that, but then Zechariah 2, or 3, 1 to 2, I think is a really good example of this as well. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? So you see the role that Satan is, is demonstrated as playing here is not just merely an adversary to Job, let's say, as a, a direct adversary. Uh, he is certainly that but one who comes before the Lord and is there to accuse Job and accuse Zechariah or the, the, the high priest here of, of, of performing this kind of activity. This is the role that he plays, is presenting himself before the Lord, presenting charges of sin against the people of God. Um, and we see him engaged in it on a regular basis. But that's not where it's limited. We go a step beyond that. And he's also instrumental in the entrapment of God's people through spiritually oppressive tactics like incitement, temptation, deceit, harassment, blinding, possession, oppression, murder, and overt persecution. So these are the things that we see him actually doing throughout Scripture, and they're all listed right here. I won't read all of them. But um, one thing that I think we sh that helps sort of frame this idea of entrapment is that we have this person who is presented to us as the accuser, given to us in Genesis chapter 3. And if you look there in Genesis chapter 3, this is on page 4 of your handout. It's in about the middle of that is Genesis 3. The man and the woman are in the garden, and they're in a state of innocence, and they are given one command. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, and the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And it says the serpent is creeping into the garden in Genesis chapter 3. He was wise and cunning and all this. And the serpent said to the woman, he asked, he asked her, did he really say you can't eat of the trees in the garden? And she says, oh no, we can eat of it. But of any tree in the garden, except the tree in the midst of the garden, we can't eat of it, nor should we touch it, lest we die. And so Satan says in verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now this is the first instance that we have of this character that we come to know as Satan, uh, who is not just standing before the Lord accusing anyone, but is actually engaged in a specific sin of entrapment. So if you can imagine, th this is actually illegal in, our, in our, uh, our, our court system, right? If a prosecuting attorney or the FBI or anybody were to engage, it's one thing for them to prosecute the law. Somebody broke the law, and for them to go stand before the judge and say, this person broke the law, and here's how we know they broke the law, and present all the evidence. It's another thing entirely for them to go to the person and entrap them. That is, tempt them to do it, encourage them to do it, push them towards doing it, and engage in entrapment. That would be that would th throw the court case out, right? Um, so what we have here is the first instance where Satan is coming in, masquerading as a beast, 
and engaging the woman and entrapping her, ensnaring her in sin, pushing her, encouraging her towards sin. It says in verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, is that true? Yes, it's true. Is it an excuse? No, it's not an excuse. <laughs> doesn't make her any less guilty of what she did. She actually did do it. But the serpent deceived her, sure enough, and he's identified as such in Revelation as the one who is the, the serpent of old, the devil, the one who is a deceiver, the one who is a liar, the one who is a murderer from the beginning. And here we see him engaging in that tactic of entrapment. And throughout these passages, we see him engaging in all kinds of different methods of temptation, whether it's encountering Jesus in the wilderness and actually tempting him to turn stones into bread as he's fasted for 40 days, or whether it's engaging, uh, uh, even Paul says he came uh, as a, a messenger of Satan, uh, tempting him. Um, all of these methods he employs uh, to try to ensnare people. Now, along with Satan is a multitude of angelic beings over which he has command. So we look at this, we see this in Matthew 25, for, it uh, looks like uh, page 5, Matthew 25, 41, toward the bottom. Says, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, Revelation 12 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So it seems uh, probably foreign to our, our, our minds, I guess, to the way we think about the spiritual realm. Often we, we kind of say, okay, well, here in our world, we've got multiple different kinds of people, all different shades and colors and sizes and ability, ability levels and all these different kinds of things. And yet we look over at the spiritual realm and we sort of flatten it out as if it's all one thing. Well, there's, there's angels and demons, and then that's, that's pretty much it. Um, but what we actually find out when we read the Scriptures is that the spiritual realm it has a, a, a plethora of different kinds of beings. Just read Revelation. And how many different kinds of beings are bowing down before the Lord, are, are standing there in the throne room, and all of these different kinds of things. And not only that, but we also see in the angelic community a hierarchy of beings where we have Michael and Gabriel listed for us as archangels versus legions of other angels that are kind of on the good side. And then on the bad side, we have Satan, and then we have a legion of demonic beings that have very limited knowledge. If you remember, there's a scene in um, the book of Acts where there's seven sons of Sceva. Do you remember this, uh, this story? Seven sons of Sceva who are Jewish people and they're exorcists. So they are making a living going out and exercising demons out of people. And they come across this guy who is possessed by many demons. And they command the demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. And there is a response, which is never a good thing, right? Casting out a demon and all of a sudden it speaks to you, not a good thing. The guy says, well, the demons say through the man, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard of. But who are you? So there, there's so many things in that that just blow my mind. First of all, obviously, they know who Jesus is. Paul I've heard of. No experience with, but there's some sort of underground network of communication <laughs> that demons have, to know of a guy, though never having experience with this guy. Limited knowledge, right? And obviously, I've got no idea who you are, so who are you, right? 
And then they leap on this guy and beat him until he's naked and bleeding, these sons, and they, they run out of the house naked and bleeding, it says. So we have this sort of picture in, in Scripture as we dig down deep and pay really close attention to these kind of uh, seemingly benign passages that are spread out through Scripture that there's actually a kind of a, a network, a hierarchy of, in, in the spiritual realm. That there's more to it than simply just a flat, well, there's angels and demons over there. That's it. There's actually a, a kind of network, and at the top of that demonic realm is Satan, and with him a whole legion of spiritual beings who are capable of wreaking all kinds of havoc in his name. Um, and obviously they appear to be many in number. If you look at Matthew, uh, or sorry, Mark 5.9, Jesus encounters this man who is possessed. Uh, in Matthew, we see it's actually two men, but uh, Mark presents it to us here as a man. Um, Jesus asked him, this is on the bottom of page 5, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Not just one, there's thousands of maybe demonic beings that are, are possessing this particular individual. Uh, and in, then in verse 15, which is on the next page, in page 6, he says, They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So here, here's this man who is possessed with um, many, many demons who are serving the whims and fancies, the, the, the method of Satan. I think the important thing to understand there is that we see the activity of Satan as it's presented to us in the Old and New Testament as really being the same. He's an adversary, but he's not just an adversary and an accuser. He is also one who practices deceit, who has murderous intentions in his heart, seeking to devour and blind and all kinds of other things. And his angels then, if they are his angels, what purpose do they serve? The same purposes that Satan has. Okay, they're, they're doing the same kinds of things. Entrapping, deceitfulness, harassment, blinding, possession, oppression, all kinds of things. Alright. So, though Satan and all of his minions are created beings, they seem to not have been evil from the beginning, but were created good. So, Genesis 1.31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was, there was morning the sixth day. So we see in creation gives us a framework to look at every created thing. Now, let me just put a disclaimer out there. In Genesis, we do not see the creation of spiritual beings. Okay? Fair enough. We don't, it's not listed for us in one of the creations. Mainly because I think it's... Genesis 1 and 2 is concerned with all the things that are tangible, the things that we can actually see and experience that we uh, experience on a regular basis. But we do know from the rest of Scripture that all things that are seen and unseen are created by God. And from the beginning, all the things that He's created, that He is laying His eyes on, He says are good. So we have to take then, I think, from Scripture that originally... Everything was good, that is, everything in the physical world and everything in the spiritual world created good. And I think we would have to put Satan and all the legions of angels that we see now as in that category. Does that make sense? All right, here we go. It doesn't make it all sense, so I can't help you. Yeah. I mean, you So you're just here to present problems. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But you're, you're the one that can answer all my questions. Uh, no, I don't think I... Don't think I uh, so the, I, I asked, does it make sense? Because I kind of knew Doug was going to say that. Uh, and, uh, uh, to set us up for the, the next thing. I think, I think what's important and is also, is also difficult for us to admit is with a little bit of humility... 
we don't know everything, especially everything in the spiritual realm. The reason that this is 10 pages long and most of it is Scripture that I wanted to put here is because this is about what we know. And that's it. Which leads us to ask more questions, doesn't it? Because, oh man, are there a lot of things that we want to know. What happened in the beginning? Um, there are a lot of explanations that people will give for here's what Satan did in the beginning, here's how he did it, uh, here's what the result of that was, and we'll really present it in, in such a convincing way, and sometimes even reference some scripture that you kind of go, okay, well, that's the, that's the backstory. I'm not persuaded by that backstory. Uh, you'll find one in Isaiah 14 and another in Ezekiel 28. And in both of those, they have historically been presented as this is the backstory behind Satan's fall. But if you pay really close attention to what's being said in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, both of them are about kings, earthly kings. Now, some will argue the earthly kings are mirroring Satan's fall, right? One is addressed to the king of Babylon, the other is addressed to the king of Tyre. And as I read it, I don't have any reason to conclude that that those stories are being told about Satan properly. But they're presented like they are. I don't have any problem with people that believe that they are. That's fine. I just sit here remaining unconvinced that that's what that's talking about. It seems to be talking about kings that are being humbled. Okay, our argument's not about that today. What we really are focused on is what is Satan's activity? And, and, and then... How did he come to be and do what he, what, he, what he is and did? Well, it seems as though his sin, the reason that he is punished and that there is a place reserved for him, is because instead of presenting charges as a prosecuting attorney, he engaged in entrapment and enticed the couple in the garden to sin, which was a sin which was his downfall. So, was there pride in his heart in doing that? Seems so. Did he want to prove, maybe, that this couple was easily corruptible? Apparently so, maybe. We don't have a whole lot of information on that. What we do know is what he does. The reason that I think this is important, a lot of this is a well-worn road for us, okay? So we see this and we're like, yeah, I get that, I get that, I knew there was angelic beings, I, knew, I, I, I know all this stuff. Okay, fine, that, that's great, I'm glad. What's important about this is that we understand he is right now attempting to deceive you. In one way or another. There are areas of your life where deceit is going on, right now actively being practiced whether it's sin that you want to engage in, things that you want to listen to, desires that you have, some of those are brought about by your own flesh. You are capable, without Satan's help, of sinning. Amen? Somebody. But, but, Satan's goal, his agenda, and all of his minions, their agenda is deceit, blinding, temptation. So there's no doubt many areas of your life have been seized upon. Many weaknesses that you have are well known in the spiritual world. Perhaps even passed around in some form of demonic email. I don't know how they get the information from one place to another, but they do somehow. And it's probably been passed around and shared. And I think if we just take a moment to think about that, might terrify us a little bit. Probably with a healthy amount of fear. That there are weaknesses of your life that have been exposed by Satan and his legion. 
and are being preyed upon at this very moment. Is that terrifying, Timothy? Yes. Which category that falls under? Harassment, possession, oppression, murder, overt persecution. Pick one. <coughs> Seems to be all the same. Was there? Is there a? Oh, I mean. No, right, I, I'm not, I hope I'm not trying to present something as say everything ex is explained by Satan's activity, and, but then also on the other side, nothing is, right? I mean, I, I don't know, if, was I saying that? Is that what you feared I was saying? Or? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm doing up here is having difficulty sorting it out. Go ahead, James. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. Well, so, so we, we know some of these things, for sure, that created good, but at some point there is a rebellion of some kind. There is a rebellion of some kind, and we don't get tons of information on it, but there is a, those, some of these creatures who are with Satan and in league with him that rebelled against God in some form or fashion and are currently held under chains. Second Peter 2.4 For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them into chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. Jude repeats the same kind of thing in Jude 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. What is that talking about? Man, we could be here all day talking about the debates on that, and one day maybe we'll talk about all the hard things in Scripture, and that's certainly one of them, um, which we won't today. All we're saying about that is that there is obviously some form of a rebellion for which the rebellious angels are being punished. What information beyond that do we have? Well, it's debatable, and even if uh, one particular side of that argument is right, we still only have very limited knowledge about what that is. So we can just say that, it, that there is a rebellion of some sort that happened, and that there is a sin against God that happened. Now, it, are the chains that they're being held under, are they the kind of chains that prevent them from any activity whatsoever, or are they like, uh, do you remember, um, you, anybody see the, uh, the Disney's presentation of A Christmas Carol? <laughs> or perhaps Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol where the guy, who Jacob Marley carries around the chains you know, with him. Is that what he's talking about there? That, that the demonic realm, as they go about doing their influence, are carrying the chains of judgment along with them? Who knows? But the point is that there was a rebellion and that they are being punished and held for judgment by God. Like the good angels, the fallen angels too are possessed of uh, uh, are possessed superhuman power because their use of it contrasts sadly with the that of the good angels. Obviously we know Michael and his angels are powerful beings. Uh, we see that in scripture able to blind and various other things. Uh, we also know that they these have superhuman uh, abilities as well, and they possess that kind of ability. We see that in the possession of the, of the man that we just read about, who's possessed by a legion of demons. He's jumping on people. He's able to break chains that are holding him down and things like this. So 
the point in getting all of that is to say, okay, here is Satan's activity. Here's what he does. And here is the kind of power that he possesses. So how does that then apply to all of the things that we've been talking about in the cultic realm and in the occult as we see it practiced across our world? Well, they're important because they help us to understand that all the people that we come across who are uh, entrenched in these various ideologies are held under the deceitful schemes of the demonic realm. There's not a false religion out there that isn't in some way demonic. Uh, That's a strong statement. But let's see if it's actually backed up in Scripture. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to find it. If you find it first, let me know. What page? 1 Corinthians, page 6. 1 Corinthians 10, 20 to 21. Page 6, just under Jude 6. No, I simply imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. But go back even into the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 32, 17. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come, up, come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. Uh, Psalm 106. But they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons, uh, their sons and their daughters to the demons. What's, what's being told to you in Scripture is that all of those idols that ensnared the people in the past, in the desert, they weren't just figures that couldn't speak. They actually had a spiritual presence behind them. How do you know that? Because they were taking the people of God and leading them away from the worship of the one true God. They were convincing them, this is your means to salvation. As we said, all of the the cult and the occult have that same lie underneath them all, which says, you can save yourself. If you only do X, Y, and Z, this is your means to salvation, and that lie actually comes from the same spot, is what I'm saying. That behind all of it, whether the person actually knows it or not, is a demonic presence enticing them into perpetual spiritual blindness. You tracking? This is not benign what we're dealing with. There is active engagement in deceit behind all of it. And I think the the quicker we as Christians can kind of open our eyes, we don't have the privilege of just looking at everything in strictly physical terms. Every aspect of false doctrine that's ever put before us, every twisting and subverting, every changing, every hiding, every masking, is at its root demonic. You're not simply engaging with things that are benign, but things that are actively attempting to pull you away. So the person that's standing on your porch sharing a false gospel with you is not simply a person standing on your porch sharing a false gospel with you. Or a person who's misled or isn't that cute. It's actively satanic, attempting to lead you away in one way or another. But not only that, the things that we, the sins that we engage in regularly are also that same pull, that same temptation. Demonic forces have actually seen your weaknesses and are capitalizing on them. So, giving worship may not be as overt as pagan sacrifice. 
but would include any attempt to gain insight, peace, a clear mind, power, or joy from the spiritual realm outside of Christ. Let's define it that way. So instead of thinking as demonic worship or pursuing the doctrine of demons, as Paul would, would say it, instead of thinking that as, well, that means you've got to, you know, kill a goat and put him on altar in your, some witch's basement or something like that around a seance, rather than thinking of that strictly as demonic worship, think of it more generally as any attempt to gain insight, to gain peace, to gain a clear mind, to gain, gain power, or joy from the spiritual realm outside of seeing those things fulfilled in Christ is the pursuit of the doctrine of demons. Fair? Okay, then we're going to go to the next step. This is where I've removed all the rocks from the room so you can't stone me. So many in our culture, this is why I I bring up that at the beginning about in, in the West we often you know, don't see this as much or think we see this as much. Because we see a lot of like harm, what we would call harmless forms of, of worship that maybe we wouldn't call worship. But many will take part in these seemingly harmless forms of worship thinking that they may be fun. Parker Brothers, I think it is, or whoever markets the Ouija board and says, it's a game. It's fun. And, and you may even have looked at that in the past and kind of gone, ah, it's harmless. It's just a little, little game. But is it seeking to gain insight, peace, clear mind, power, or joy from the spiritual realm outside of Christ? It absolutely is. All right? It may be seen as healthy. Yoga meditation. The goal of yoga is Hindu worship. The positions that you engage in, in yoga, are salutes to Hindu gods. They're specifically formed that way to bow down to Hindu gods. But then the meditations that come are designed to empty yourself. That's the goal. Empty your mind. Clear yourself with the ohms, which are calls to Hindu gods, to empty yourself to achieve nirvana. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us, fill yourself with the Spirit. Not empty, be filled. We see them as either fun, as healthy, or perhaps as meaningless. It's just a board game. However, Satan and his angels do not care what your intentions are, only that you seek joy, inner peace, meaning from any source other than Christ. And sometimes this may be through means that convince you that you are following Christ more truly. Now, it's a clever ruse then, if you were engaged in deceit, to take an entire culture that thinks you don't experience the demonic realm, like you have in the West, but actually be engaging it on a regular basis. Just not as overt as it may be in Africa or in other places in the world. So demonization or spiritual torment. Did I miss one? Did I do that one? Okay. Got it. Got it. Demonization or spiritual torment brought about by demonic activity may manifest in a multitude of ways in the lives of people. One form of that demonization, one form of that demonic influence, is what we would call demonic possession. Now, we see this displayed several times in Scripture. I'm not going to go through all the Scriptures, but you can see them represented in various demonic possession. When I say demonic possession, I would, I would mean uh, times where it seems the, the devil, his minions, have actually animated an individual, taken control of an individual in one way or another, and the result of this demonic possession um, could include, but obviously not limited to, things such as convulsing, seizures, cutting, other expressions of anxiety, superhuman strength, divination, even suicide, 
Uh, all of these things are demonstrated as people that are possessed in Scripture. The difficulty, I would say, about talking about possession and oppression and things like this is that there's really not that kind of line in Scripture. We have one word for the way Satan or demons attack an individual, and it is simply best translated demonization, which is just could be as general as just influence, right? And so sometimes we see clearly there is an animating, goes into somebody, Satan enters Judas, uh, various other forms where he actually like animates the person, and other times where it's just outside influence. But possession, it seems, when a, when a demon goes into a person and possesses the person, animates the person, seems to be limited to the unbelieving. We have no e- example of that in Scripture where it is a believing person that is possessed, and we don't think that uh, could be possible. But there are examples uh, where there is a coordinated assault by demons, and in fact, that coordinated assault could even occur on Christians, where Paul talks about himself being attacked or assaulted by a messenger from Satan sent to buffet him or to, to try him in one way or another. So while it doesn't seem possible in Scripture for a demon to possess a Christian, it does seem that uh, to attack or to otherwise uh, spiritually entice a Christian is going on all the time. And so what is sure is that spiritual forces of darkness are all around us and are active at all times. And the commands from God's Word to the Christian is to be alert. That's 1 Peter 5.8. Your enemy, the devil, uh, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. To trust in Christ, which is Mark 9.19 and 29, to have faith, to believe in Christ, to pray. To commit yourself to genuine belief through sound doctrine. That's the seven sons of Sceva, which are obviously taken advantage of by this demon because of their false doctrine. And testing everything in accordance with the Scriptures, which is 1 John 4, 1-6. He tells us as much in the Scriptures. Everything should be tested and measured up against the Word of God. So the encouragement that we have is what Christ says. He doesn't say when He leaves, hey, don't worry, the devil is, is toothless. He has no power whatsoever. No, He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the encouragement that we have is not on the foundations of, well, therefore Satan can't do anything to me. The encouragement that we have is pursue Christ. Resist the devil and he will flee. Run towards God. Draw, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's James's message. Is that everything that we have in security in this life, is found in Christ and Christ alone. So it is, in every way, flee from everything that might masquerade as fun or as harmless or whatever, but behind it is actually the enticement to worship false gods and pursue instead everything to do with Christ through sound doctrine. Questions? Go ahead. (laughs) Let's go with Charlie first, and then we'll work our way forward. I don't see Jesus. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Um, we have to be very attuned 
to what, let's say the preacher, for instance, is asking of us or, or saying of us. Um, there seems to be a, a movement in, in some circles, and you'll, you'll notice it when you're looking for it, to, uh, one, either be closer to God or to find some sort of fulfillment in your relationship with Christ by some other means than His Word. And, and normally that is, some people will call it a second blessing or things like this, where the, the method that I am able to grow closer to God is by an ecstatic gift of some sort, right? Um, that is pursued and sought outside of a relationship with Christ and His Word. And, and it's hard to explain that, but when you, when you hear it being taught, and when you're listening for it, you'll, you'll see it. Where, where people are asking you to demonstrate or to, or to draw closer to God by some other means than what He has given to us in His Word. And, and, and there are ways that people do that with, with music and with worship and with, you know, all kinds of other things. And, and, and I, I think we have to work at being really attuned to that. I think, um, you know, a, a, establishing good influences of, of Scripture where th- what's being required of the teacher is that they're actually looking at the words that are on the page explaining what those words mean and demonstrating how those apply to your life, where you're able to actually see the chain of logic from the Scriptures taken in the context that they're in, rather than one verse ripped out of, out of context. Um, I think all of those things we have to devote ourselves to, and if we don't, then we are easily captured. That's, that's what Paul says. If you're going to be persuaded by every wind of doctrine... It's going to be when you don't know and understand. When you actually don't read the Word and understand it in its context, you're able to be taken to and fro by every new wind of doctrine that's out there. That's specifically the means that He gives us to pay attention to those things. I'm, I'm sure that's not super helpful, but I hope it's at least pointing in the right direction. Yes. Yeah. 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 We're, we're going to close, uh, but essential, essential to say, I think the root of all of these things that we've been talking about, we're going we're gonna to move forward from here in the next couple, couple weeks, but the essential root of all of these things is not this is not child's play. This is not, oh, uh, they're caught in some, you know, uh, lie or anything like that. But, it, but it's, they're being preyed upon. So there, we should have some, uh, just as Jesus walks upon, sees the guy who is possessed by a, a legion of demons and has mercy on him and casts the demons out, we should probably also look at people who are, they're not necessarily demon-possessed or, or whatever, but, but they are influenced by the doctrine of demons. And so we should look upon them with the same kind of mercy Jesus looks upon the guy in the, in the, in, you know, the Gentile territory who's possessed by a legion of demons. So um, I think we should carry that with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word and we're grateful for the many things that you say here to us. And, and we don't know everything and we are confused by many things. And so we pray for help. As we look at the things that we do know and as we draw certainty from those things, we pray that you would... Give us eyes to see the world around us. Help us to understand what it is that we're looking at and, and appropriately engage people that are ensnared by various schemes of satanic influence that we might be able to uh, have compassion on them and share the, them the good news of, of Jesus Christ, knowing that it is the truth and that by knowing the truth, they may be delivered from uh, all of these deceitful schemes. So we pray that you would give us help in doing that. As we seek sound doctrine and as we want to hear that and and be trained by it, we pray you'd give us help there, protect us, uh, keep us safe and secure there. And we know that 
it is ultimately you that keeps us safe. You that allows us to persevere. You that endures us, that keeps us to the end. So we pray that you would do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.